Welcome to today's edition of the Baseball America College Podcast. I'm Teddy Cahill. Joining me, as always, is Joe Healy, and we are here to discuss Week 14, preview Week 14, the penultimate week of the college baseball regular season. A lot is happening this week. Many conferences are coming down to the the final weekend of the regular season. Uh, Several conferences are already into their tournaments, and then a few of them are you know, not having tournaments this year going down to, to week 15, but you know, they're still very much in uh, playing very, very significant games here in their stretch run. So we'll, we'll try and dive into all of that here. We're going to run through some scenarios, some just what teams are playing for it across the major conferences this weekend and uh, hit on some of the other news as it, as, as we get to it here um, you know, we're really, really down to crunch time in college baseball. Uh, so let's get to all of that here. But first, I got to let you know that the Baseball America College podcast is presented by Rapsodo. Rapsodo has become the industry standard in player performance data. Coaches use Rapsodo data as a measuring stick for player development and evaluation. The Rapsodo National Player Database is a free service that allows you to see how you stack up against your peers and provides a pathway to get discovered by scouts. You can check out the Rapsodo National Player Database at rapsodo.com slash national database. All right, Joe, uh, we're here. It's week 14. We're coming to you a day early because uh, on the, the, the final weekend of the regular season, uh, going into the conference tournaments, the m- most conferences start their weekend a day early to, to give everyone a, a chance to rest and, and travel to the conference tournament. And that means that a lot of action is starting on Thursday. So hopefully you're, you're getting to this podcast, um, you know, a little early uh, in, in the week ahead of those, those games, but still we'll, uh, we'll get to, to all of the action. And if you are getting to this on, on Friday morning, that's your routine. Just remember that games did happen last night and some of this, uh, you know, might've changed a little bit. Uh, but Joe, it, as we get down to crunch time here, it's uh, it's crazy to me that this is where we're at. Like I, I knew that we were coming down to it, but you know, it's one thing to know it. And then it's another thing to look at the calendar and realize like, Oh, the SEC tournament, the ACC tournament, they start in less than a week. Yeah. It's kind of weird. I think this year, like the first six or seven weeks, I felt like went at a, a pace that felt about right. Maybe even, slower than I thought. But then once we kind of got past that, what I kind of call the dog days point of the, of the season, you and I have talked about this offline about how there's a point of the season where, you know, at first you're excited, the season is starting. And then you get excited that, you know, two or three weeks in, you're like, you're learning more about these teams, then conference play starts and you're kind of excited about conference play. But then once you've done three or four weeks of conference play, you kind of get to a point where you're like, okay, you know, we're, we're kind of seeing these same teams every week. And we do learn some things, but also they're beating up on each other. And there does kind of set in a little bit of monotony, but then it really picks up again once we kind of get down the, the home stretch. And we are obviously, we are, we are nearing the finish line of the regular season anyway. And for my money, this weekend that leads into conference tournament week, like, so all of that together actually is my favorite time of year in the sport. I love regionals, don't get me wrong, and supers and the COUS, but I love that kind of last weekend of the regular season, because in part, not really necessarily because anything consequential happens, although it does, but sometimes 
a vast majority of the series, at least among the ranked teams, do feel somewhat inconsequential the last weekend of the season because so much has been decided. But it's really that those games roll right into conference tournaments. I mean, we so things are most conferences are doing Thursday to Saturday this weekend. But on top of that, we'll talk about this as we go. You've got a few conference tournaments that are already underway that'll be wrapping up this weekend. You've got leagues like the Pac-12 that are doing a normal weekend. So you've got those games on Sunday. You've got Big Ten games on Sunday this year because they're not doing a tournament in addition to, you know, other smaller conferences that are doing that. And then you turn around and like Monday's pretty slow, but then you turn around and by Tuesday, I know the conference tournament I'll be at starts Tuesday. Uh, Big 12 starts on Tuesday this year. SEC starts on Tuesday. Um, ACC starts on Tuesday. So, you know, you, you basically have that Monday to catch your breath and then you start the real sprint here. And so that this, this week between the last weekend of the regular season and conference tournaments is really, I think the most like exhilarating, exhausting, of course, but, but really just exciting week of college baseball, because there's, there's no time for any sort of breather. Um, and every team feels like they have a, a shot, you know, most every team anyway. Um, and it's, it's the beginning of the stretch run. I just think it's, it's a lot of fun uh, this time of year. Yeah, absolutely. Just so much going on, probably a lot of scoreboard watching around the country. Um, you know, there's, uh, there's just, you know, there really is, uh, it, it is a great time of year. I don't know if I would say this is my favorite or, you know, next week, maybe I love conference tournaments. Um, I love regionals, super regionals are, are fun. It starts being less fun for me in, in supers and in, uh, in the college world series, because I love the volume of the games, you know, that you get during conference tournaments and, uh, 100%. And, and yeah. And, and, and regionals, you know, the, the thing when you get into supers, like, yes, every pitch is so meaningful. Every game is so meaningful, but you know, the, a Friday night, any Friday night during the regular season is like drinking out of a fire hose. Really. There's just so much going on all at once. And at times it's overwhelming, but at other times it's just, it's so awesome to, to look at, and then, you know, you go into regionals and conference tournaments and there's, it, the, it, it goes a little bit down, but there's still a, there, there's still a very, very large amount of games that, that you can tune into and, and try and, you know, be following. You get into to supers and, you know, there, there's 16 of them. <laughs> and, you know, I, at least on day one, they aren't all happening at once. You know, there are 16 for one day and then, you know, they start dropping off. And uh, of course in Omaha, everything is amplified even more, but there are two games a day. Like, I don't know. I, I, I personally like the volume play that, that, you know, conference tournaments, regionals, and this final week of the, the regular season provide, but um, no matter what, no matter what your favorite part of, of the college baseball season is, we're probably coming up on it. Uh, you know, as a great as opening day is, this is uh, this is probably where everyone is really uh, starting to to enjoy hit hit their highest level of enjoyment in the game. I would guess. Yes. Yeah. No, I, I'm with you. Like conference tournaments, I think is my single favorite event because you're right. Like it's not everybody's plan. Uh, you know, some teams have been lopped off. Some don't do conference tournaments, but most of the most everyone is. And you know, the, the, the teams that aren't playing anymore are probably the teams you weren't paying a lot of attention to anyway. And so you, you do start to become more hyper aware of leagues that you really haven't paid that much attention to during conference tournament week because it's impossible to keep up with everything. So I think that is my favorite. If you were to make me limit it down to just the one event, I mean, I think that's that's probably it. I'm kind of with you on, I like 
don't get me wrong. I love it all. But thing with Supers is you, you, you said it on that Friday, you've got four games and if three of them stink, well, that's just what you got, you know? Um, so there definitely have been super regional years. There've been super regional years. 2016 stands out. You probably remember that well, where supers were just incredible, just bangers across the board. And then you have super regional years where you get to the end of the weekend and you're just kind of like, mm, okay, well, that, you know, I guess that was that, you know, out of the eight, like seven of them were two and O weekends, you know, um, you just never know what you're going to get with supers. And every time you get an exhilarating one, you get an equal number of, of just kind of stinkers in terms of the, the totality of it. I think I actually don't remember 16 as well as I, sh- as you might think I would, because that was my first year as like the full-time college baseball beat writer for baseball America. And so I was still just like figuring a lot of stuff out. And I remember going to Florida, Florida state that year, and that was a great super, but it also started on Saturday. Uh, and I remember, like, I think they, they played a night game Saturday night. It was probably like the last super regional to start. And I remember driving from, I think I flew into Tampa. I was driving from Tampa to Gainesville. And that was when UC Santa Barbara hit the walk-off against Louisville. Um, if my memory is, is serving me right, or maybe that was the day that Bieber beat, I guess that was the day that Bieber beat McKay. And anyway, regardless, I just didn't watch that much of that, that super, first of all, it was just two games in Louisville. And then it was like during the middle of the day and I just didn't see hardly it at all. And there's a lot of stuff like that going on. I feel like between my travel schedule and me trying to figure out how, how all of this worked for the first time in in my new role. And, um, but yeah, I, I definitely know what you mean. There are definitely some weekends in, in terms of super regionals that it's like, well, yeah, we had, we had a couple good ones, but it, it's a lot different when there are, you know, eight good ones and or six of the eight at least. And hopefully we can get that this year. Uh, I, I think that would be very enjoyable. But any super regionals, I'll uh, I'll take them this year for sure. And I, I guess before we get into this weekend, that that is generally my message right now. Like I know that this isn't easy for fans of specific programs that you know, or looking at the the way that hosts were decided this year, or, you know, if your conference tournament has been lopped in half this year, whatever, like it, it's not optimal. There, there are a lot of suboptimal things happening right now in, in terms of schedules and, and the way that this, this tournament uh, selection process may play out. But just to have anything right now, like I, I am just so still so glad about that, that it's really hard to get bogged down in the specifics of, you know, well, is, is this going to happen? Or like, if this happened, like, how come we couldn't host? Like, it just seems crazy to me that we couldn't, like, we could win the tournament and still not host. And like, yeah, okay. Like I get that as, as, as a fan base, that, that would be very frustrating, but uh, the overall perspective, the, just to, to have, any season, any tournament to be looking forward to right now. Like I'm still feeling very happy that we're, we're at that point considering where we were last year. Yeah. It's a very healthy way to look at it. No, I, I, I think that's right. Um, sometimes I, it's me I have, healthy and well-adjusted. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, you know, I mean, sometimes I have to remind myself of that. Like it's, it's really easy. We're in the weeds of it now. And so it's really easy to, to forget, you know, the, just, you know, um, I don't even know the right word to describe it, but just the, the situation we were in last year that was just so dispiriting for any number of reasons that went obviously went far beyond baseball. But um, 
Yeah. So coming from where we were at this time last year, I actually had a thought about that the other day about what we were talking about this time last year. I'm sure we started, started off a podcast lamenting the fact that we were about to go into our favorite time of year. I'm sure that was exactly what we were talking about for better or worse. So yes, given, given that, I mean, that, that, that is good um, perspective because certainly um, we, we can sit here and gripe about some of the things we don't like about the way this year has been set up. And some of those gripes are valid, but um, it sure beats the alternative. No doubt about that. And before we move on, the, the other thing I would say is, you know, just consider what other sports had to deal with. You know, again, soccer, the, both, the, both the men's and women's soccer tournaments were moved entirely to the sort of state of North Carolina. You know, they're, that's, they're not supposed to be played like that. They're supposed to get campus site games, just like baseball is, if you play well enough. They didn't get them this year. Uh, you know, basketball, there were however many fans there were in Indianapolis. Everything was in Indianapolis. Like, that's not the way that was supposed to be. And, you know, so the, the fact that they are where they are in baseball, um, you know, I think is commendable in, in many respects. And I know this isn't going to be a popular opinion, but I think that the NCAA is doing their best. <laughs> like, it's a really tough situation. I think they're doing their best and they've, uh, they've made some adjustments. Yes. But they've shown that they also haven't been stuck in those adjustments and, you know, they've continued to make adjustments as guidance, um, you know, from medical professionals and governments and all the rest of that has changed. And the NCAA is not doing very well in many other areas, but I, I think in this area, they are genuinely doing their best. Um, so We'll, uh, we'll see where it takes us, but when, uh, when Selection Monday comes around, I, I hope that everyone uh, is, is prepared to, for, for what should be a really fun return to, to the postseason play. But we, got a, we still got a lot of regular season baseball before we get to that, and that's what we're, we're going to talk about here on this podcast. We're going to look around the major conferences, see what's on the line here in week 14, which, again, for almost all of these leagues is the final week of the regular season with conference tournaments on deck next week. Uh, so we'll get to all of that here in a second, but first, check this out. All right, Joe, like I said, we're breaking our usual format here on the, the Thursday slash Wednesday podcast, and we're going to take a, a run through the major conferences. We're going to see what everyone is playing for. Uh, simply breaking down series isn't going to get it done this week. Uh, you know, for instance, in the Big 12, you have TCU and Texas playing for the conference title, but they aren't playing each other. So if we just broke down, you know, Texas playing West Virginia, that's not really getting it done. And uh, I don't know that anyone really wants a deep dive on both Texas versus West Virginia and TCU at Kansas State. So instead, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll run through all the conferences, see, see what's on the line uh, this weekend. And I guess since I mentioned the Big 12, we might as well start there. I think that is the league that has the most interesting situation uh, as we go into this final weekend of the regular season. In the Big 12, uh, TCU leads Texas by a game in the standings. They are playing at Kansas State. Texas holds the tiebreaker because they did win the series in Fort Worth. Uh, they are hosting West Virginia, but they have to find a way this weekend to better TCU by one game if they are to win their second title in three seasons. TCU looking for their first title since 2016. TCU back-to-back -back series losses now. 
first uh, to Texas, and then last weekend to Louisiana Monroe. Uh, Texas was off last weekend for finals. Should be fresh to uh, to meet West Virginia. Uh, neither West Virginia nor K State has a whole lot going on. Um, one of them is not going to make the Big Twelve tournament, and they are they're duking it out for that. But otherwise, you know, these are teams not going to the NCAA tournament unless they were to go out and shock the big 12 with a, a big 12 conference tournament title. Uh, so not the stiffest competition for, uh, you know, TCU in Texas this weekend, but still will be very interesting to see if Texas is able to, uh, to make up that, that one game deficit they have uh, to TCU this weekend. Quickly, I will say, and, and I don't, I don't say this casting stones because I, I quite literally learned this, like no more than 48 hours ago, all nine teams in the big 12 are going to the big 12 tournament. They are doing oh, really, they are doing, why are they doing that? <laughs> uh, that is a boy. What a question. Um, they are so there's doing, nothing on the line this weekend for K state or West Virginia seating only. Yeah. I mean, you, you, if, if you're seven, you don't have to play the, they're doing an eight, nine game on Tuesday evening. And then the eight, nine winner just basically slots into, I guess what we normally think of the eight, eight seed spot in the bracket. So it's just like a, a plus one. So, I mean, I guess there's motivation to avoid be or to try to be the seven as opposed to the eight, nine. Um, so Kansas and West Virginia are currently uh, tied for that um, last last two spots. Um, so if K-State can stay, keep their nose ahead of those two, they'll, they'll stay out of that. But yes, generally speaking, not a ton on the line for either of those teams because it is a nine team field this year with the Big 12, which is kind of a weird thing because I. I um everyone else cut spots in the Big 12 is like yeah this will be the year that we take everyone to Oklahoma City yeah that, that, that's exactly what I was going to say is like it was they went kind of the opposite direction which I guess you know if you're a if you're a conference that wasn't worried about stuff like the revenue loss and the, you know the, in the grand scheme of things like compared to the SEC it's a different ball game at the Big 12 compared to the rest of college baseball doing pretty well so I guess they feel like um you know hey well you know let's in this weird year like let's you know try to be a little more equitable about it and just bring everybody in. There's probably some concern about like, well, what if some team lost two weekends and then they lost out on percentage points because of that or whatever, like this yep. way you don't have to worry about it. But I will say also, it wouldn't be the worst thing if they kept this going forward. The, you know, the, for, for a while, um, other conferences have played some kind of play in game to their conference tournament. It, if, uh, I'd be interested to see how Big 12 coaches think about this going forward, but it would it would not be the worst thing. No, I agree. And I think they'd ultimately kind of all be for it because, I mean, let's some of this too is that let, let's call a spade a spade, right? I mean, for the most part, we're talking about Kansas. We're talking about Kansas State and, you know, maybe West Virginia, although they've improved quite a bit lately and are, are less uh, prone to that. You know, occasionally Texas. Like, <laughs> I went and covered the Big 12 tournament in 2019. Texas was not there. You know, um, that in all, you know, 2013, I think Texas missed, or it was TCU, one of the two missed in 13. So it does happen, but like, let's be honest, we're talking about the same couple of teams. And I do think certainly, I think the other coaches would probably kind of be empathetic to that a little bit. Um, and, you know, cause it's one thing if everybody's getting it and it's just like, Hey, you know what, don't finish last, but um there might be some of that, but I do think there is a little bit of empathy for, look, we're talking about the same couple of teams here. Like, let's just bring all nine. It's one thing if they had 11 teams in the conference, that would be kind of weird, you know, to take all 11 or something, but it's, it's nine. Like we're not talking a super unwieldy number. Um, so yeah, I, I'm kind of with you. Like if they just kind of continued this on, cause it already, it, 
the tournament usually starts on Wednesday. A lot of their major conferences start on Tuesday as it is. So it's not like you're really um, doing anything super extra there. So yeah, I'm, I'm kind of with you. Um, back to the original deal at hand here though. You know, this is, um, this is a tough, a tough spot here too, because I, I, I perceive that, you know, it, it would be one thing if one of these two teams was facing a really tough challenge. And I don't want to be disrespectful to K-State or West Virginia, but two of the three bottom teams in the big 12. And um, so it's, it's hard to really kind of see where you can draw some, some lines here. I mean, on paper, not just because there's a spot ahead in the standings, but you know, K-State on the road for TCU seems like a tougher path also because we've seen K-State reach up and get Texas tech this year. So we know there's something in there. Um, for K-State, whereas, you know, West Virginia just hasn't had those, those same, quite the same flashes this year. So I, I guess that has been really rather poor away from Morgantown. Indeed. So, um, but that, that makes the race more interesting though, right? Because if the roles are reversed, you might just say, well, you know, TCU going on the road or playing West Virginia at home, which hasn't played well on the road, you like their chances to stay ahead of Texas having to go on the road to play Kansas State. But since it's flipped, um, that does make it a little more interesting. So, you know, um, the the most interesting scenario here is that they, you know, Texas wins the first two games against West Virginia and sets up this, this big deal Sunday, or in this case, Saturday showdown. And, you know, I, as I've mentioned before, TCU really struggles in game three of series. Uh, they actually, that was the one game against Monroe that they won. Uh, but they're, so they're seven and six in weekend finales going into this weekend. Uh, you know, that would, that would, that would be, you know, probably the, the, the most dramatic way to go into this um, and, and a very realistic scenario for Texas to come up and, and nip, uh, nip the frogs for the title. Yeah, that would, I mean, I think it, it really does feel like a thing that's going to play out on the last day, just because I, you, you can kind of see this, you know, even if they win, each team wins the first two games of their series, if that flips and Texas sweeps and TCU loses on that in, in the finale, Texas with the tiebreaker, obviously is in good shape there. So it, it really does kind of feel like this is going to come down to the last day because it would, I mean, it, it would, it would be quite the surprise if, although maybe not given that they just lost that series to ULM, but it would be a little bit of a surprise if Texas grabs the first two TCU loses the last two. And then that's kind of all she wrote there, or even the opposite where TCU goes out, wins the first two Texas loses them. And, and, and it's over that way. It, it, it does feel like it's coming down to Saturday, which is about all you can ask for in this situation. I guess we could get greedy and ask they would be playing each other. I guess that would be the only thing that would be better, but it, it does feel like it's going to come down to the last day. Yeah. And the big 12 has a, has a habit of doing that. So not out of character at all for this conference. There's not a whole lot else on the line besides, uh, you know, besides the league title. Uh, you know, Tech is firmly hosting. They're pretty firmly the third team in the standings as well, unless they were to get swept this weekend. And I guess even then, because they hold the tiebreaker over Oklahoma State, uh, who is done. They're playing non-conference this weekend. But I, I would also direct your attention to Baylor and Oklahoma. Um, Baylor is at this point comfortably in the, uh, in the NCAA tournament field, RPI 31, uh, 10 and 11 in the big 12, but that's not a huge deal. Uh, but they lost last weekend to Oklahoma state. 
If they lost this weekend, you're looking at 11 and 13, the RPI falls a little bit. Like you're talking about a team that's falling back to the bubble. The bubble's very forgiving this year. It probably wouldn't be that big of a deal for Baylor. They have, you know, a series win at Texas Tech, for instance. Like they have some nice top line stuff, but it would be ideal for them to uh, to win this weekend and, and then not have to worry about it. But if Oklahoma got them, and this is in Waco as well, if if Oklahoma went to Waco, won a series, they would improbably be like crawling back to the bubble. Uh, they're nine and twelve in the the Big Twelve going into this, but if they won the series, finishing eleven and thirteen in the Big Twelve again, not a huge problem this year. Like not not great. Like certainly we're talking about one of the last teams in the field where they to to pull it off. But at eleven and thirteen, the RPI is sixty six right now. It would go up. They're only twenty five and twenty five overall, but again two and one. Like. Now you have a winning record going to Oklahoma city and maybe you play well in the big 12 tournament. Like it would at least make things interesting for the Sooners in the big 12 tournament. Yeah. I mean, the, the bubble is forgiving too. I mean, the thing about it is the, the bubble is a, as you know, and I'm not saying this for your benefit, this listener benefit, but the, the bubble is a living, breathing organism. And, you know, the bubble is forgiving right until it's not. And in 2019, the bubble didn't move much. You know, in 2019, we, we didn't have a lot of wonkiness, but I, I wrote in three strikes this week, which went up right before we started recording. Um, so you can check it out there, kind of a primer for the stolen bids. Um, so if you're a team on the bubble, there are certain conferences around the country that you're going to want to pay attention to in their conference tournaments, because what could happen, just to give you one example, Liberty, comfortable at-large team, as it stands right now, well, Florida Gulf Coast wins the A-Sun. Well, Liberty's going to get in anyway, so that became a two-bid conference instead of a one-bid conference. Um, you know, Northeastern in the Colonial, that's another example. So there are these examples around the country of, of conferences that have one good or maybe two quality at-large teams and nobody else. And if someone from that nobody else wins the conference tournament, it shrinks the bubble. And so, you know, I say that to say in a situation like, like Baylor – you know, you lose the series, you put yourself in some peril um, and you might in a soft bubble situation get in. But suddenly, you know, if you're the last team, if you're one of the last couple teams in and then four, the bubble gets shrinks by four. Well, now you're on the wrong side of the fence. And so things can change. Things are pretty fluid and can change pretty quickly when we start to get down to brass tacks and conference tournaments, because it, it, we just never know how it's going to go. Some years the bubble really shrinks up and you look up and suddenly you're, you're leaving teams out. You don't want to leave out. And then some years it's the opposite where some teams are getting in that were surprised or even in the discussion. Yeah, absolutely. So it, it uh, it's not going to like, that shouldn't be what your attention is in the big 12 this weekend, but it, it's, it's something to keep an eye on. Um, and if you are a, a Baylor or, a, or Oklahoma fan, obviously it's uh it's it's top line stuff because that it is it is coming down to it for uh potentially for the, for those teams this weekend. All right, Joe, let's uh let's move on. Let's uh head over to the SEC. Uh we're actually had intended to start this thing, but the Big 12 is legitimately probably the most interesting place because the the title race is so interesting. In the SEC, the title is on the line this weekend as well. Uh although the Big 12 makes a bigger deal out of their regular season title than most other conferences. I assume that's because they play true round Robin. Um, whereas, you know, these other conferences with divisions or are that are just larger, you know, probably place less emphasis on a regular season title. 
But Arkansas has a chance to win its first SEC regular season title since, Joe, do you have any idea how long it's been? I don't, but I'll guess um, 2004. That is dead right. You might have read that in uh, in off the bat. That, that might have that might have been buried in your memory from that or something. That perhaps that that, that perhaps might be the case. I, but I do I do just know that is more than anything else. I do just know that being like a year that gets thrown around a lot with like fun facts about Arkansas. So I mean, that's yes. probably where is more than anything else. Why? It, I mean, that's uh, like DVH's. I don't think it's his first team. It's, it's their break second team. team. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it's it's a huge breakthrough spot for them and. I am surprised they haven't won a regular season title since then. Um, you know, considering everything that Arkansas has accomplished under Dave Van Horn, uh, they've they've gone more than 15 years now without an SEC title. It's uh, it definitely speaks to to the strength of the conference and you know a whole number of other things. But they they have a chance this weekend. Uh, they should, in fact, win their first SEC title since then. Uh, magic number is two. So they don't need any help. Um, you know, they, uh, they're 19 and eight, Tennessee's 18 and nine. Arkansas obviously owns a uh, tiebreaker over the Vols and Vanderbilt 17 and nine. Um, there is no tiebreaker. I mean, there is ultimately a tiebreaker there, but considering that Vanderbilt will not play the same number of games as everyone else, but Alabama, since they have that game rained out, uh, no tiebreaker needed, uh, but it will be pretty hard since they that they only have 17 wins right now. It'd be hard for Vanderbilt to uh, to sneak up and, and and pluck that title away. So this is probably going to be Arkansas's, um, but they have a difficult opponent this weekend. They're playing Florida, and they're doing this at home, which is a rarity in these situations this year for Arkansas. They, they're used to going down the road for these, these huge uh, series, but instead they will this time get their top 10 opponent at home. Uh, for the Gators, this weekend is meaningful to an extent. They were announced as a, a on that preliminary host list. They're projected as a host right now. They're probably fine as a host, regardless of what happens over the next two weeks at 17 and 10 in the SEC. But there are some scenarios, you know, were they to lose out, and that's taking four losses probably, because they're not going to have probably, they wouldn't have a bye uh, in the SEC tournament, if uh, if they were swept this weekend, they would really be flirting with not hosting. I feel like they probably still would host, but it would it would definitely not be a secure situation to be in. It, I, I don't think so. If they can just take a game off of Arkansas this weekend, I think all of that goes away. They they would then have 18 SEC wins at least, and would uh, would would have to feel really strong about hosting. Uh, so that, that's what's on the line for Florida this weekend. A lot more on the line for, for the Hogs uh, as they try and clean up their uh, or finish up their their SEC title. Yeah, I um, I kind of marvel. So a couple things here that are maybe not exactly where you would think my brain would be, but the thing about Arkansas with me is, is they've just been so consistent and so steady week after week. I kind of marveled at the fact that in spite of that, they've they've still lost eight games in the SEC. I also would marvel the fact that like that they hadn't locked up the SEC title by now, just given how like metronomic they've been in their consistency in winning series that it just feels, it has felt so inevitable for so long. And now, I mean, it's, it really not, isn't, isn't even inevitable. Like things could change that and, and make that, um, make that not. So I, I like their chances to do so, especially being at home, but it's amazing to me that, that, 
the SEC is just this good to where a team can be that good and not have it locked up before the first or the, the, the final weekend of the regular season. So um, interesting series there with Arkansas and Florida. I think that's going to be one of the headliners, you know, I think Tennessee, which, you know, obviously in this mix here, that's a fascinating series on the road against South Carolina, just because, you know, which way does it go for Tennessee? Are they kind of deflated after their second consecutive, well, not consecutive, but they had this kind of same situation against Vanderbilt early this year. They come close, but can't quite get there. Does it kind of go in a negative direction? Does it go in a positive direction? Meanwhile, South Carolina seems to be playing better, has maybe figured some things out on the mound. They moved Brett Carey to the rotation. Well, he did restore a shutout. Right, that's all. Um, Wes Clark is swinging the bat better now. Um, the offense in general is is uh, performing a little bit better now, but we all know that, that Clark kind of stirs that drink there. So um, that series feels very tricky to me, and it's hard to pick against Tennessee because they too have been, you know, they've won every series except Vanderbilt and Arkansas. There's a lot to be said for that, but that does feel like a real sticky situation on the road there coming off of an emotionally taxing series for Tennessee. It's also a situation where... You know, yes, Tennessee is still alive for the uh, for the SEC title, but they, you know, they'll be aware of how hard it's going to be. Um, you know that they need help from the Gators of all of all teams to to win the title. Um, South Carolina, meanwhile, has a lot to play for. They were announced as a potential host as well. They responded to that news better than anyone, except for maybe Ole Miss um, last weekend. They swept Kentucky. So they're now 15 and 12 in the SEC. It's a light resume right now. But if you were to add in a series win against Tennessee, finishing with 17 SEC wins, they also, of course, have a sweep of Florida. Uh, it would It starts to be a really good case. And you know, were that to happen, uh, you know, where, where South Carolina wins this weekend, you know, they, they and Florida are going to finish back to back in the standings of the SEC East. They own, you know, not just a series win against the Gators. They own a sweep against the Gators. They have a better RPI than the Gators. Like that's when it really starts to get interesting for who hosts between those two schools or can they both host? And so that's on the line this weekend for South Carolina, uh, you know, the chance to play a home regional and they really need it. I don't think they can host without winning this weekend. I, I don't think 16 and 14 uh, in the SEC would get it done. Although, you know, again, I, I, I talk about this, but if they were to go on the run in Hoover, which is traditionally a house of horrors for the Gamecocks, even the best Gamecocks teams didn't play well in the SEC tournament, but were they to go on a run in Hoover, you know, everything changes, but uh it would be simplest if they were to just, you know, go out and, and beat Tennessee at home this weekend. Uh, easier said than done, but that's uh, that's what's on the line for for the Gamecocks. Um, further down, Joe, we've got Alabama, LSU, Georgia, all with either eleven or twelve SEC wins. One of these teams probably makes the makes regionals, maybe two of them, but probably not all three. They have challenging final weekends. Georgia, 12 and 15 in the SEC, uh, hosting Ole Miss. Alabama, 12 and 14, hosting Mississippi State. LSU, 11 and 16, going to AM. AM is itself playing for a spot in the SEC tournament. Uh, that's not wrapped up yet. They still, um, they still could, could lose that. All of them challenging in their own ways. LSU 
should be feeling good about themselves after winning a series against Alabama, except that they just lost on Tuesday against Northwestern State. Uh, and you know, who knows what that did to, to anyone mentally uh, in Baton Rouge. Uh, but Joe, what, what do you think about, about that collection of teams here that are, are fighting for, for regionals bids? Well, it's a mess um, because I think you can, I mean, there's, there's just, there's reason to like all these teams. And then there's just the counterbalance of the reasons not to feel confident in them. And I, I guess that's how you just describe teams that are inconsistent and mediocre. Like, I guess yeah, that's, that's a bubble team for you. Yeah. That, that's a bubble team. Um, a power year, conference bubble team. Anyway. Yes. Yeah. I mean, but I think this year has kind of exacerbated some of these, these issues. I, you know, I, we were talking about this the other day. Like it just feels like the SEC is probably the biggest example, but I feel like there's more to it this year where it seems like I don't think we often have three SEC bubble teams like this that are all kind of in the same little orbit here. Just I'd have to really look back. I think you're right though. Yeah. It just feels very abnormal to have that. There's there's usually like a very clear top tier, very clear bottom tier. And then we've got like maybe one or two that are, that are floating around the middle a little bit, you know, Florida, Missouri in 2019, for example. Um, So this does feel a little bit abnormal. And the thing about it is, LSU has the easiest series, although it is on the road, but they're the furthest away, you know. Um, Georgia's probably the team that I felt the best about all year. No, no, you say they're the furthest away because they're 11 and 16, so they absolutely have to win the series uh, to even get to 13, but they have the best RPI of the group, Mm. and it's not close. Although it is a little closer after, you know, again, losing to Northwestern State. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, not a, you're saying that's not ideal. Um, Yeah, I guess I just like with the RPI, like I just, maybe this is just inertia and not being used to having to pay attention to the RPI, but I just kind of always assume the RPI is fine, you know, in the SEC and most of the time it is, but I I guess you're right. There's a reason why we're not talking about Kentucky, which is also 11-16, but they, and they play at Vanderbilt, so it's all there ahead of them, you know, just go beat Vanderbilt, except that their RPI is 65 and that's not going to get it done. Yeah, yeah. And Georgia is 42 and that is enough that, like that is bad enough that they're not going to get any benefit of the doubt, I don't think. Whereas LSU and Alabama, uh, especially Alabama with a series win this weekend, will be good enough to get the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, I feel. Yeah, yeah. What a what a strange, strange little situation we have here. I you know I feel the most comfortable with Georgia because Georgia's just been so competitive this year in series that you wouldn't think they they should be. But yet, you know, the hits just kind of keep on coming with you know injuries and most recently Ryan Webb and. Jonathan Cannon maybe hasn't quite been the guy that they were hoped he was going to be. And they've had, you know, three other relievers who haven't pitched all year and they've just kind of kept, kept on going, but you just wonder if you just wonder if, it, if it's all too much and a series against Ole Miss and Ole Miss, another team that's really motivated to make sure they host. And it, you know, it would be somewhat on brand for Ole Miss this year to, to kind of to, to lose that series and to not just make it easy on themselves. But um, like, I just don't know that that's a great matchup. And I feel the same about, Alabama, just because I'm actually still kind of surprised Alabama is in this mix. It feels like, you know, I start to kind of write them off and then I look, I look back one week, one week later and they're still there. Um, you know, uh, so I think I like Ole Miss or not Ole Miss. I'm sorry. I think I like LSU most out of this group, just because they are the furthest away in terms of wins, but you're right about the RPI. They are going to get some benefit of the doubt there. It's also a team that you talk about teams that, that don't play well in Hoover LSU does. Uh, they tend to play pretty well there. And whether or not you believe there's actually something to that or not, um, there is, you know, that the, the history there, you know, so if I'm putting money on one of these teams, it's probably LSU just because they've got the, 
the easiest path in terms of the opponent. And they've still got Hoover in front of them, which I think that program in particular sees as, you know, a place they're comfortable and a place where they can make some hay, even if it's just a very different team than a lot of them that have had success there. It's a fairly young team. But um, if you believe there's something to that, then you have to like their chances. I mean, they're definitely playing the best down the stretch right now. So that's that's also a thing that's going for them. I am highly intrigued by Alabama this weekend. They go home. Um, you know, that's a, a comfortable place for them, obviously. Uh, most teams play better at home. They're one of them. Uh, they get Mississippi State, which frankly has very little to play for at this point. Uh, I mean, you're talking about seeding in the SEC tournament, I guess, and like the potential for a buy. I don't know how much you're going to get up for that. Uh, they're probably locked into a top eight. The The thing about that, though, with them being totally out on the beach this weekend, uh, first of all, there is no beach in Tuscaloosa. But the, the other problem is that they are they just got got last weekend by Mizzou. So which way does that go? Is that a wake up call that like something is actually like or, or an alarm that something is wrong with Mississippi State right now? The last place Mizzou was able to go into Starkville and win. Or was it a wake-up call to the Bulldogs that, oh, we actually can't quit playing hard yet? Like, we have to play through the finish line if we're going to do what we want to do. Like, so I'm very intrigued to see where Mississippi State goes and then how Alabama adjusts to that and what they have uh, this weekend. I, I mean, we've liked this Alabama team all year long. There's a reason why they were preseason 25 for us. Um Things haven't quite gone their way either. A lot of injuries, starting with Connor Prelip, um, their ace, and that's why they haven't been the team that we thought they would be. But you know, they I mean, they they just keep winning games. Like like you said, like you, anytime you're ready to write them off, they do something that's like, well, okay, there's definitely still in this, and that's where they're at going into uh, a very intriguing uh, final final week of the regular season. You're right. There's no beach in Tuscaloosa, but how fast do you think there'd be a beach in Tuscaloosa if Nick Saban said he wanted one for recruiting purposes? They would well, figure like, that out. I mean, he has a lake house, right? And like, they, he mm-hmm. talks about that lake house all the time. How far is that lake house from? I mean, like, there's that. that it's got to be a nice beach at the lake, right? You'd think. Although, um, I'm. Strictly, Where are you at on on ocean beaches versus lake beaches? A big ocean beaches guy. Lakes are not beaches. That's my official stance okay. on that. Thank you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> here's the thing. Like, I I do, I do enjoy a good lake. My parents have retired and live on a lake now. So, like, I'm I'm clearly pro lake in general. But I just don't think it's a beach. Like, you know, it's not sandy, soft sand. They're usually rocky. The water's cooler, especially when you're talking. I guess. In the South, they're maybe not the same way, but you know, you know as well as I do, Midwestern lakes are uh, pretty cool, even in the summer, you know, temperature-wise. Um, so I would say there are probably beaches at lakes that are beaches by the letter of the law, but not by the spirit of the law, if that makes sense. Like I, I might, think it does, yeah. I mean, you're not getting the ocean beaches. breeze. That's a big part of the beach experience, right? For sure. Like, you know, plenty, plenty of other things like that, yes, you cannot replicate on uh, on the lake, no matter whether we're talking about a Great Lake or you know just a a lake in Alabama. Yeah, like I, I just think you know it's those those might technically be beaches, but like come on, they're not really beaches. Let's be let's be real here. All right, let's uh, let's go somewhere with some actual beachfront property, Joe. Um, let's head out west to the Pac-12. Uh, although nowhere are we going that has beachfront property because we're going to Oregon and the. The heart of, or the, 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 the meat of the Pac-12 race this week is it's all happening in Oregon 
as the Ducks host Stanford in Eugene. No beach there. Spent a lot of time in my youth in Eugene. My grandparents retired there. Uh, but you can be at the Oregon Beach, not, not, too, not too long from, from Eugene. Uh, and then in Corvallis, which is a little closer to the beach, um, but definitely not beachfront either. Uh, Oregon State hosts Arizona. Arizona and Oregon have created a little bit of separation from Stanford. Uh, they're one and two in the conference. Stanford is three. I don't think the Cardinal are out of it, uh, but it does require them to win this weekend in Oregon, which is no easy task. Uh, and Stanford has played less games because they missed a weekend due to COVID that confuses my ability to really make sense of exact scenarios for how they win the conference, but they're, they're still alive. Uh, they just have a really tough road ahead. Arizona trying to win their first Pac-12 title since 2012. They will be done with their Pac-12 season this weekend. They have the Pac-12 by the, in, in week 15, they're playing Dixie State. Um, the, they cannot win the title though this weekend. They are too close to to, to the Chasers uh, or you know, to Oregon and to Stanford. Uh, so they're going to be scoreboard watching no matter what, but they're going to try and put their their, their best, uh, uh, they're, they're trying to go into the clubhouse with, with as big of a lead as possible. Uh, Oregon facing a, a really difficult Stanford team, although it is a Stanford team that just lost two games last weekend at Cal. So, you know, the Ducks are, are probably feeling good about their chances this weekend, but that is, as a highly intriguing series. And I, you know, what's happening in Corvallis is important as well. I mean, not only does it, is it significant for, um, for Arizona's title chances, Oregon state, if this, if you think this really matters to, to, to a team, you know, they're trying to stay on the two line in terms of the NCAA tournament. Um, and they're definitely playing for PAC 12 standing Oregon state, UCLA and Arizona state all stacked up right now. Uh, off of those right, right behind those top three teams in the conference. Yeah. It's um, that, that you mentioned Stanford being a little bit short of games and that, that, that could very well end up mattering here just because that series was against Washington and Washington has three pac 12 wins. So Stanford like charitably would be 15 and nine, which would be two games back of Oregon in second place versus the two and a half. So it's not a huge difference, but it is something there. Um, you know, more likely they're 16 and eight, honestly, just because Washington has, has struggled that much this season. Um, Washington got three Pac-12 wins, like, you know, kind of in the, the early-ish part of Pac-12 play with two against UCLA, one against Arizona State, and they've just been on a, a horrific skid lately in that conference. Um, so um, nine straight losses right now. Yeah, it's just they get, they get Utah this weekend, Utah and Washington this weekend, two teams that could really use some Pac-12 wins because they are. Is that on Pac-12 Network or can I can I catch that on Pac-12 Network Plus? Yeah, you'll probably be able to stream that one. That's probably a stream <laughs> this weekend, I would guess. Um, but they have really, in a not great way, separated themselves at the bottom of the conference there. So not a great year for either of those programs. So, But Stanford. You know, remember five years ago when they played for the Pac-12 title? What a, oh my goodness, what a yeah. crazy thing. I mean, like. UW has been really good since then. Like they went to Omaha and everything, but like, if you think back to, to, to 2016, when that happened, like what a, what a world. Yeah. That was a different world we were living in. No kidding. <laughs> no kidding. My goodness. So it was, those, those games might matter for Stanford in the end. I mean, that could, could end up being the difference, um, which is, would be tough. I mean, that's, that's COVID though. I mean, that's, we, we knew that was the risk going into this, going into this season. 
I like Arizona's chances of, of making enough hay here this weekend. You know, I, I like the matchup with Oregon State fairly well for them, even on the road. It's not as offensive an environment, obviously, as Tucson is, but that's an offense that can really get it done anywhere. And so I do kind of like their ability to continue to put up runs, especially against this, um, this Oregon State pitching staff. Um, you know, and then the Oregon State offense, I just don't know how well they can keep up there. It's an Oregon State team that has done a really good job um, you know, keeping its head above water. They've been a solid at-large team all season long. They've really never fallen too far down. They were kind of on the periphery of the host race at one point, but never quite, you know, cemented that. I think it's a good team, but I think it's Team Arizona probably handles. And then, you know, Oregon, not only do they have Stanford this weekend, which is no guarantee there, then they finish with Cal. And, you know, Cal is just frisky enough to give you some some trouble. And so, um, even if they go four and two in those games, like I just, I think Arizona is going to be able to stretch enough of a lead there where I kind of like their chances to hold on here, but I got to give Oregon a lot of credit. I, I have to admit Oregon's one of those teams where I write, I write these t- teams up every week at the end of the weekend in our top 25 capsules. So I have to kind of take a big picture, look at those teams and like broad strokes, I kind of understand what's happening, but Oregon's just one of those teams where you know, Oregon state has been this kind of team, frankly, in the past, you know, if you take away like a, a standout player, like an Adley Rutschman, where the record just doesn't necessarily match with the stats. And that's one for Oregon for me, where they've got some guys who are having really nice years, but um, it's a lot of just kind of getting the job done in unglamorous ways. You know, we talked early about the increased physicality of, of their offense and like that might be true, um, but certainly they're not hitting like they were early this season when Kenyon Yovan looked like he was going to be the best power bat in the country now he's he's merely just one of and the pitching staff has been good but you know early in the season it looked like you know Alstrom and, and Kafka were going to be you know uh, maybe Pac-12 pitcher of the year type guys and they, they haven't quite been that they've still been very good um and yeah I mean, Oregon, you say that but there is no pitcher of the year in the Pac-12 like they they, they might be those guys like the, the Pac-12 is not blessed with like amazing seasons from individual pitchers right now yeah, fair enough. And I look at it now and like the numbers are actually better. better yeah, I would say Oregon Oregon is Alstrom and Kafka at the front of the rotation. Colby Summers as a closer. That is in the West. I, I, w- I would comfortably say out West, that is the best one, two plus reliever uh, situation of, of any team. And that's a big part of why Oregon is where they are. They have enough offense. Like you're right. It's not, it has slowed. Uh, Yovan has, has slowed since he hit like a billion home runs at Santa Barbara that one weekend, uh, and then followed it up with another really good weekend immediately after. Uh, but you know, he Matthews Zavala, uh, all made like, it makes for a pretty good offensive core. I think I'm forgetting a guy in there and you know, they just, uh, they do a good job overall. Uh, they run deeper than they, they typically have, and they have enough star power, uh, and, you know, we've seen this from Mark Wazikowski before that, you know, there, there can be a pretty quick um, improvement. He did this at Purdue in year two, taking the Boilermakers to, uh, to the NCAA tournament. And, you know, so I, this is year two at Oregon and, and you're just seeing they, they had good players to begin with. Like none of these players is, you know, pretty much everyone I've talked about, he inherited and, you know, they're older and they, uh, they just really know what they're doing out there. And I, I mean, I moved them into my eight for Omaha this week. I, I think that they're going to be really tough to handle in the NCAA tournament because of that one-two 
Uh, and then, you know, Summers at the back end of the bullpen and just the age in their lineup. I, I think that they're going to, uh, you know, they're going to be at home at least for one weekend. And then it, even if they have to travel for the second weekend, I, I, I like what they're bringing to the table. But I am with you. Uh, I still think Arizona gets this done. I think having the two-game advantage in the win column is significant. Uh, Oregon State is going to be feisty this weekend. This is a, you know, you want like under the radar storylines, like uh, you, you got one here because Nate Yeske is Arizona's pitching coach. He, of course, spent a really long time in Corvallis in that job, got passed over for the head coaching job They when they hired Mitch Canham. Uh, I think both sides will be motivated. Uh, Daniel Susak, Arizona's great freshman catcher, uh, was at one point committed to Oregon State, where his brother played. Uh, you know, there's there's plenty of cross pollination here, and and I, again, I think both teams will be motivated to uh, to come out and, and do something beyond like the actual on field stuff. Uh, you know, and, and Oregon State, uh, their RPI 21 right now, they close very difficult. They they face uh, uh, Arizona and then go to Stanford on the final weekend. If they were to win those two series, you know. We've talked about who could be traveling ones. This is a potential traveling one. And uh, the place they would travel to, I guess, would be Spokane uh, if, it, if it were to happen. They would definitely earn it if it did. I, I don't think it's going to happen. But it is uh, it is all in front of the Beavers still, despite the fact that they've been a little lackluster over the last few weekends. One quick thing on Arizona, too. We, we've talked about how you know, we talk a lot about their offense, and we, we kind of – well, I, I'll just throw my name out there. I've kind of made jokes about like, they're just going to win games nine, eight, and they're okay with that. And I think that's still true, but it, it does feel like speaking of Nate Yeski, they, they have started to round in the form on the mound a little bit. Like it used to kind of be like Chase Silseth would throw on Friday and he would give you six or seven, but he'd probably give up three or four. And then kind of after that, you're piecing it together. But you know, Garrett Irvin threw a complete game last weekend. His numbers have been improving as the year has gone on. Like Silseth is still part of the mix there. But a few guys have stepped up in the bullpen. Gil Luna had a good weekend. Preston Price has had some good outings. You know, um, so it, it does I feel think like, they legitimately like their bullpen right now. Yeah, like it, it's, it's not – like it's never going to be a shutdown pitching staff. It's not that. But I do think they like what they've got. I think that's a great way to put it. I think they like what they've got there, and it's certainly in a lot better shape than it was when we looked at this like six or eight weeks ago. Yeah, absolutely. And and so Seth has improved a lot. I think he's a lot closer to the pitcher that they thought he could be. And I know you were really high on him coming into the year. And uh, then he looked terrible uh, in that Texas tournament. I don't remember if that was round rock or Frisco. Uh, and I got, I got kind of down on him, but he's, he's bounced back in a, in a really nice way. And, and Garrett Irvin is, is back doing, doing his thing. And I, yeah, I mean, they, it's, it's going to be an offensive based team, but I, I think that they, uh, they can pitch, they can pitch pretty well. Uh, that should be a surprise considering, you know, who is their pitching coach right now. And, uh, they do have, have several talented arms on the pitching staff. And one last thing on this series, I, I think it's significant for both Stanford and Arizona, two teams we've talked about being very good offensively, uh, this season, Going to two places that traditionally are better for pitchers in Eugene and Corvallis, uh, doing so in May and in late May at that or mid-May, whatever we are now, uh, is a lot different than doing it in like early April. So, you know, that's not to say either one of these places suddenly turns into uh, into Coors Field. 
but you know, the, the weather is, is going to be better. It, it's not going to be like 40 and raining. And I, I think that is significant for two teams that, that want to bash the ball a little bit, um, you know, going up, up North this weekend. All right, Joe, let's, uh, let's go to the ACC. This one's pretty quick uh, because as we talked about on Monday, the ACC uh, really wrapped up a whole bunch of stuff last weekend, uh, including Notre Dame having already won the conference. So that is not to play for. There's really no one's playing for a whole lot of anything except for some teams that are sitting on, on the bubble. And frankly, they're probably going to sit on the bubble going into the ACC tournament even. Um, there are some teams that I, I suppose could really play their way out of it this weekend, but, but there's uh, because there are only two teams on the potential host site list, you know, there's not a whole lot going on there. Notre Dame's locked into hosting Pitt, as I've mentioned, is probably locked into not hosting unless they are hosting as a two seed. And if they want to do that, they got to, if, if they want to have any hope of, of hosting as a one seed, they absolutely must sweep Wake Forest this weekend. Um, but I, th- I think the most significant series this weekend is Miami and Louisville. I'm not even sure how much is on the line here. There's a path, I suppose, for Miami to become a traveling one seed that involves them playing extraordinarily well over the final two weeks. Louisville, I feel like, is not super bubbly right now uh, because when you compare them to other ACC bubble teams, the only thing Louisville doesn't have going for it is uh, uh, its RPI. You know, if you look at it versus Clemson or North Carolina, even, you know, two teams that beat Louisville, like they, Louisville still has a lot going for it that those other teams don't. Uh, and yeah, so we'll see, but Louisville needs to stop this slide. Uh, that they, They've been in a funk. They need to come home. They need to do something against Miami. Uh, they can then feel better about their regional chances uh, and, and just generally be playing better going into the postseason. That's one to watch. Duke and Clemson is intriguing from a bubble standpoint. Clemson is right there on the bubble. I had them as the last team in. Uh, they could very easily have been the first team out. They are they are dead there right now. Uh, and Duke is off the bubble right now, but with the series win at Clemson, maybe they work their way to the bubble going into the ACC tournament. Uh, and they are coming off of a sweep of Virginia Tech, so the Blue Devils are playing well. Speaking of Virginia Tech, they have played themselves to the wrong side of the bubble recently, uh, and now they face Notre Dame at home. They need to do something this weekend in Blacksburg. And then North Carolina is at Georgia Tech. I feel like the Tar Heels are okay coming off of that sweep of uh, of Louisville. If they win one game this weekend, they would finish 500 in the ACC and probably be, be absolutely fine. But if they were to get swept – maybe something happens there. So I don't know if any of that's uh, particularly compelling to you, Joe, but what, what do you got in the ACC? Yeah, I think all of the above, frankly. I mean, uh, you know, the other one I would throw out there, I don't think it means a lot, but, you know, Florida State's going to NC State, and, like, suddenly that's, like, a really tasty series within the ACC. <laughs> that's the that's that true. Playing. It is for absolutely nothing but ACC tournament seeding, uh, but it is uh, – those are two of the best teams in the ACC. Yeah, playing both teams playing pretty well right now. So, um, and, you know, a Florida State team that – I think I like as much as anybody not called Notre Dame in terms of postseason prospects because of the way that team is built. Um, so that, you know, I'll probably, I'll, I'll go out there for at least some of that series this weekend. So I'm, I'm kind of excited to see that because I haven't seen Florida state with my own eyes this year. And I haven't seen NC state with my own eyes really since they started um, making this push in earnest. So that, that should be a lot of fun, but I'm with you on a lot of this stuff. I mean, Louisville, 
it's less about what the wins mean. And it's just more about, can you start feeling a little bit better about yourself? Honestly? I mean, they just, they just need some feel good in terms of the way they're playing, because I mean, as it is right now, they're just, they're just in such a tough spot. And if, you know, if this weekend doesn't go well, suddenly you're, you're banking on an ACC tournament. And Oh, by the way, Louisville is one of those teams that doesn't really typically do much in ACC tournament. And a lot of years they don't have much to need to do in the ACC tournaments. This would be a little bit new for them in, in terms of wanting to feel good about what they do there. So that would be an interesting wrinkle there. And, and the, on the flip side of it, <laughs> Miami is such a weird team. We talked about this in the, the recap podcast on Monday. It's kind of amazing how close Miami really, despite all the ups and downs and the mediocrity and they, it still feels like, you know, especially on offense where, you know, just name a, name a, a big name player on their offense that we expected to have a, a big year. And, and that person has probably underperformed a little bit. So despite all of that, they're probably just a couple wins away from having been named as a, as one of the 20 potential hosts. So it's, it's kind of amazing how close they ended up coming despite all that. Um, it would also be like the, you know, Duke and Clemson. Um, it would be a very ACC thing if, you know, Duke was one of the teams that we had kind of left for dead and, you know, BC and Wake Forest have stayed there. They haven't been able to get up off the mat, but you know, here. And are officially dead. They're out. They're not going to Charlotte for the ACC tournament. Yes. Um, Duke, meanwhile, like not only has kind of clawed their way back in, but also has one of the better RPIs in the conference somehow among the bubble teams anyway. Um, So they're looking pretty decent there. And I think the other thing is such a variable here is we've talked about this before is we have a rubric for how this stuff typically works. Like, they play 30 games and, and we know what records get you in typically and which ones don't. Well, with 36, we don't really know what that number is. And so is it just by percentage, the same thing as it usually is, whatever the equivalent of 14 and 16 is, or are they willing to, to, you know, just count the extra wins as opposed to hurting you for the extra ding you for the extra losses. So we'll have to see. And I think that series there could be an interesting test case for that. Obviously understanding that they still have the ACC tournament, but if, if one of these teams goes, um, you know, 15 and 18 in, is, is my math right there? It's not, but uh, it oh, doesn't looking, matter anyway, because Duke missed three games because that's right, I'm State at, had COVID I'm looking issues. At Duke. That's the problem. So, yeah. okay, so if Clemson goes... They could seven, be 15 seven, and 18. If uh, if that happens and Duke wins, then Clemson finishes at 17 and 19. Right, right. And uh, Clemson has a deliciously fascinating resume. They are one game above 500 overall right now. Like, technically this year like they changed the rule and you don't have to be above 500 to be an at-large team but like is that actually going to like they they changed that at a time when it was like well what are schedules going to look like and how many games is anyone going to play i mean the acc playing 50 games i don't know how much you know i mean yeah they took away half a dozen of their non-conference games and you can spot clemson some wins in those games but uh, they played so close to a normal schedule. I, I just don't think there's going to be a whole lot of quarter given for uh, for that. For but, but we'll see. I mean, I, I it would it would be a really fascinating test case if uh, if Duke were to win the series. Yeah, it's also just a reminder of how nice it'll be. I, I assume we've not gotten this far, nor should we have at this point. But I assume we're going back to regular schedules next year for the most part. I think there will be some remnants around the country of, of what they've done here if if certain conferences like the way things worked. But for like the ACC, which is something we want to follow up on in the summer, so indeed. look for that down the indeed. road for us. <laughs> um, but I have to assume in the major conferences they're going to go back to some semblance of normal. And man, if they go back to a thirty-game schedule, I will be so thankful that we no longer have to like worry because my brain just gets so confused every week trying to like look at these records and figuring out what the equivalent is and and all that stuff. It'll be just nice that we 
we, at least in theory, will not have to worry about that uh, next year. I, I would strongly guess the ACC goes back to uh, 10 conference weekends of three games. Yeah, I mean, this has just been like, it just can't be this again. You know, like it is, uh, you, could, you could make a really strong argument. It's just been maybe that the ACC was always going to be aggressively mediocre this year. But I do think like in this is an offseason topic. I'm just I'm veering off here. But like it, you know, it does feel like it has it has hurt the league. Uh, yeah, I, I am definitely diving into this. Uh, so because I'm talking about this now on the podcast, nobody else can do this. That Those yeah, are the rules. That's right. That's uh, how, that's but how it, that stuff works. It is definitely on my to-do list um, sometime, like starting in mid-June. Like, okay, ACC, like let's, let's do an autopsy here. Because, um, yeah, this is they, – they went with the, what turned out to be – it didn't – when they announced, like, what they were doing, it did not seem like it was going to be a radical change to their schedule. It seemed like a sensible thing that, you know, if anything was closer to normal than what many expected. It turned out to be a radical schedule change compared to what other conferences did. Um, and it has undoubtedly had a, a massive impact on, on how their season has unfolded. So uh there are thoughts out there and uh we're gonna i'm gonna try and track them down but duke is a very interesting team they're gonna have to earn it this weekend in clemson clemson plays really well at home uh but if they do it it's uh it's gonna get really interesting and the other thing to remember with these acc teams is that they play pools in the acc tournaments so you know um one and one is is on the table for these teams uh, in, in Charlotte. It doesn't have to be a case where you're taking two losses uh, or where it's one and out or, or whatever. Uh, so it's uh, a lot of fascinating ACC baseball ahead uh, that may or may not mean a whole lot uh, for anything more than the bubble purpose, but it is uh, a lot of these teams are grouped right around the bubble right now. Uh, all right, I mentioned uh, radical schedule changes. Let's uh, let's head up to to the Big Ten here. Um, a lot going on there this weekend. You've got four teams in the Big Ten within two games of each other going into the final two weeks. They are not having a Big Ten tournament, so there is there's this week and then there is next week. Uh, you got Nebraska at the top, Indiana, Michigan, Maryland, all right there with them. And this weekend, Nebraska, Indiana, and Ohio State go to play a pod in Bloomington. It's uh, that that's a four-team or a four-game deal for for those three three teams. And then Maryland goes to Michigan. That's a traditional three-game series. Nothing's going to be decided this weekend. It's definitely going to come down to the final weekend. Uh, but you do have a chance here to you know get yourself a little bit of uh, of separation going into the final weekend potentially. Uh, Maryland needs something this weekend to kind of stay in the hunt. Um, they, uh, they, they run the risk of falling off the, uh, the, the title, uh, chase here if they were to lose in Ann Arbor. So a lot can happen here, Joe, the, the only other like truly relevant big 10 team right now is Iowa. Uh, there are a couple games further back in the standings, but they just play a much easier closing schedule. So they'll probably end up closer to the leaders. Um, but they, uh, they're at Northwestern this weekend. So not, not a whole lot going on there, but that pod in Bloomington is, uh, is, is very intriguing here. 
Yeah, I don't um, – let's just go ahead and write it down for, like, all the teams just split their games because, like, that's probably what we're talking about here. I mean, let's let's be honest. Like, th- this league has just been that way. We've, we've cycled through Big Ten teams in the top 25. We've ranked all three of those teams, you know, the, th- the three top teams, Nebraska, Michigan, Indiana, um, you know, uh, throughout the season. And we, we kind of keep flip-flopping on it because we just can't – you know, it's, it's hard to be convinced that anyone else is, is deserving because we don't know what to make – of a big 10 this year. And then you add Ohio state into it, which has been a little bit of a, a Jekyll and Hyde story this year. They're just talented enough to get you, but they're also just inconsistent enough and their offenses um, sometimes struggles enough to where they just kind of can't keep the ball rolling for any length of time. So that, 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 that particular team is a problem for, for in this mix because they're, they're just good enough to, to get you. And, you know, I guess the, the thing about Ohio state, if we're really going to dream on it though, like, Ohio State goes. Yeah, I mean, they're five and a half back. The leaders, nineteen and sixteen. It's there for them. It's all there in front of them. Yeah, yeah. I certainly wouldn't bet on it, but like, it's not like uh, they're the last the time here, they so. played Indiana. Was, they swept a four game series. So, yeah, yeah. That is that is that is interesting. I'm with you on on Michigan, Maryland. Maryland needs something here. I mean, not just for the not just for the title race and wanting to be a part of that, but because Iowa finishes with such a soft finish now if and, I and Iowa toe, is then, like three and one this season against Maryland that, that that yeah certainly so if you know it's feeling like the cleavage in the big 10 is going to be between four and five in terms of NCAA tournament I guess they could get five if things break right but if there's going to be a you know a break before that it's going to be between four and five it feels like and so if Maryland falls behind Iowa Iowa's got a soft schedule to finish Iowa owns the head-to-head and then oh by the way like we've talked about how little RPI matters, but, you know, shout out Evan Bland to the Omaha world Herald. He did a story, I guess, probably a few weeks ago now where he interviewed uh, the committee chairman, Jeff Altier from, from Stetson. And, you know, um, he asked him about RPI and they are not willing to say they're not going to use RPI when it comes to big 10. So I don't know if that means they're going to just stack the big 10s RPIs together, but I say all that to say, Iowa right now has the number two RPI in the conference behind Nebraska. Now it's only going to back up though. All, all the big 10 RPIs are going to get tight because they all yes. play theoretically the same schedule. Yeah. That, that, that's exactly what I was going to say. Iowa front loaded their schedule. Yeah. So like they've just, they, they've already seen the benefit of playing all those teams for the most part. So who knows, but as of right now, that that's so I just, I mostly said that just to say like, you know, as much as RPI just really does not matter in this conference, it sounds like it's going to be something. And I, I you know, I, I'm guessing what he means is just they're going to stack up the RPIs in the Big Ten against each other. So if if Maryland finishes fourth but has an RPI somehow 20 spots higher than Iowa, maybe they choose Iowa instead. I don't know. Um, but anyway, that's just something to keep in mind there, that we've been talking so much about how RPI is irrelevant for the Big Ten. But to the, according to the people who matter, it's going to still be a factor. So we'll have to see. But Mar- I, I personally want to read between the lines on that and just say, like, he feels like he has to say that because that's what the instructions to the committee say. That's me being overly optimistic, though, probably. I mean, you might be right, though. I mean, it might also be just kind of a signal that could be. I mean, these guys are smart. Like, it could just be a signal to the reading audience, to your point, that, hey, you're still going to hear RPI referenced a lot. And maybe that matters in the Big Ten. Maybe it doesn't. But you're, you are going to hear it a lot come Selection Monday. So, I mean, that 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 very well could be could be the case there, but uh, that's a roundabout way of me saying this weekend's really important for Maryland because it feels like not just from a uh, title race standpoint, but from even from an at-large standpoint, it, it really can't afford to take on much more water given that Iowa's in a much more advantageous 
position. Now, Iowa's not immune from stubbing its toe also. So let's not, let's not forget that. But as it stands right now on paper, they've just got such a tougher road. I mean, my guess is that Iowa doesn't even have to get back ahead of Maryland in the standings because they own that head-to-head, that they can't fall further back than they are now. It's a two-game separation, uh, and it would really behoove them to, to get tighter. But I don't think they have to totally flip this. I don't think it has to be Iowa finishes four, Maryland fish, finishes five for Iowa to get in uh, because they own that head-to-head stuff. Uh, but, you know, you'd feel a lot better if you're the Hawkeyes, if you get ahead. Uh, I got one mildly hot take uh, before we, we move on here. I like Indiana this weekend. I, I uh, let put me down for Indiana winning this, this pod, it not going out as a split. I, I just like them being at home. I like the experience factor. You know, this is a, there are a lot of pieces uh, in play here uh, on the coaching staff on and on the field that were part of the big 10 uh, champions in 2019, Nebraska on the road, kind of a new spot for a whole lot of people in terms of competing for a conference title. And, um, you know, I think, uh, I think Indiana is going to have something to prove following last weekend uh, and their series loss uh, at Michigan. All right, Joe, uh, let's run through two more conferences quickly here um, quickly, both because we've been at this a long time and quickly because there's a lot less at stake here. Uh, first, I'll just note that the Big West, uh, UC Irvine's magic number is five. Uh, they play this weekend against, um, they're at Cal State Bakersfield. Uh, Santa Barbara, which is in second place, is at Riverside. So UC Irvine could wrap up its first Big West title since 2009 this weekend uh, would need the, the slightest bit of help in doing so. But there is there is a chance that they win the championship and the auto bid that comes with it this weekend. Uh, the other thing here is the American ECU holds a half game edge on Tulane and they also own the, uh, the tiebreaker having beaten Tulane. ECU is at South Florida. Tulane is at Cincinnati. I don't see Tulane uh, or ECU slipping up to let Tulane pass them, but it's possible. It, it could happen, and uh, ECU is looking for back-to-back titles. Tulane aiming for its first since 2016. Also in play here, you know, Tulane probably is on, like, very likely on track for an at-large uh, Wichita State is in third place. They're home against Memphis. They need a sweep uh, if their at-large hopes are, are going to stay alive, I think. Yeah, both those conferences, I think, you know, right to kind of lump them together and just throw them in there. UC Irvine, I mean, it's interesting just because I, UC Irvine is, is a really fascinating team that I'm going to be interested to see in a regional because it's, we've talked about this before, it's not built like you probably think they're, they're built. Um, just given the history of UC Irvine and the Big West, the stereotypes of the Big West in general. So that I think they're equipped to play pretty well outside of their little uh, bubble in the Big West. So that's fascinating. And in the American, I'm with you. Um, You know, Tulane, that's such a, uh, this is not a a field of 64 podcast we're doing here, but um, that's just going to be a fascinating one. Obviously, if they are able to catch East Carolina, that's a big feather in their cap, I think, for the committee. Because otherwise, you, you mentioned I mean, they're in if that happens. Like, for, yeah, I would think hard so. stop in. Yeah, it's just kind of a weird little resume where they had like lots of opportunities and like that is helping their RPI because they played some tough, tougher games, but they didn't really take advantage of those, and they don't have a ton of marquee wins. And 
there's just a lot of things kind of working against them. Um, and yet here they, here they are. So um, that's, that's a, it, it just kind of seems like number five RPI conference too. I think this is where conference RPI can matter a little bit. I think sometimes it gets overblown because the committee looks at team resumes, not conference resumes, but I do think on the margins it can matter. And I think this is one of those margins where they look at the number five RPI conference and, and think there probably should be a second team here. And if Tulane gets close enough to being in that, what they're looking for in that large team, I think they, they can kind of get the nod in part because of that. All right. Um, there are going to be three auto bids handed out this weekend for sure, regardless of what happens in the Big West. Uh, those are the Patriot League, SWAC, and MIAC all finishing their tournaments this week. A couple other conference tournaments start this week in the Metro Atlantic and the A-Sun. Patriot League coming down to a three-game series between Lehigh and Army. That is at Lehigh. Lehigh looking for its first title since 15. I should have written that down. It's either 15 or 16. Uh, Mountain Hawks have best pitcher in the conference in Mason Black, also the conference player of the year. Uh, Army has won the last two Patriot League tournaments, however, and I said last week on the podcast that they just play really well in this thing under Jim Foster. So we'll see if uh, if that can carry them this weekend. Uh, in the SWAC, Jackson State is the heavy favorite, uh, having won the, the conference and gone undefeated in doing so. But, you know, you never know in uh, – in a, in a tournament like this, um, what we'll see what Jackson state has, uh, you know, in terms of challengers, maybe from Alabama state or, uh, or, or, you know, Southern Texas, Southern, any number of teams, I suppose. Uh, and then in the MEAC, uh, probably wide open NC central comes in, uh, having won the South division, the South division's the better division. You know, they're coming off of a sweep at home of Florida A&M. They're probably feeling pretty good about themselves. That would be, uh, a wonderful story as they are going to be eliminated, that the program is going to be eliminated whenever this season ends. So this is either the last seat, the last week in NC central baseball history, or they're going to make history by getting their first bid ever. So something to watch there in, in the MEAC tournament. Uh, I guess fam is the other team to watch Nor Norfolk state. I don't know. It's uh, it's kind of wide open there though. Yeah, the MIAC is a weird one. And I, when I was doing those conference stock watches over the, over the summer, you know, the MIAC was a strange one because Norfolk state like really quietly has a gaudy conference record. But then you look and the, the South division is just so much more competitive in the MIAC than the North division is where Norfolk has just kind of run away with that thing year after year where the South, you know, you've, you've got, typically you've got Bethune Cookman. You've also got FAMU has been pretty good and NC central has had good years and A&T. So um, there, there's just a little more competition there. With these three conference tournaments, if you are a fan of a number one seed, a potential number one seed, some of the teams that Teddy just talked about are teams that are not going to be fun matchups for a number one seed for a number of reasons. If it's Lehigh, like have fun facing Mason Black in game one. You know, one of the uh, best, certainly the best pitcher in the Patriot League, one of the best pitchers in that region, going to be a high draft pick, you know, relatively speaking. So that's not going to be a comfortable thing. I wrote about Jackson State a couple of weeks ago, so you might have, have heard this before, but that team steals a ton of bases and is just going to make you work for it. So that's not a real comfortable matchup. Um, and then in, in the MEAC, if it's NC Central, uh, they have their own pitcher, not quite as good as Mason Black, but Austin Vernon um, is their Friday guy. And they have a number two in Ryan Miller, who's probably a pro. Who might be their well. number one, frankly. Yeah, so they, I mean, they've really got two guys that can match up 
Um, so, you know, watch out if you're a number two seed in that or a three seed in that regional and, too. And, you know, they're, they're a team that has absolutely nothing to, like, they're going to lay it all on the line. You know? Yeah, that, that's a motivated group there. I, you know, I, I, I really like their chances this week in the MEAC for that, for that reason. I mean, they're just, they're, they're really playing with their hair on fire. They, they took it to Florida A&M last weekend, swept four games, um, made it look fairly routine. Um, so they're playing their best baseball right now too. But so those three tournaments are interesting because there are some potentially tricky matchups for number one seeds coming out of these conferences. And uh, it should be noted, you know, Jackson state has a decent RPI as uh, conference champions go, um, or they, you know, they aren't going to be too terribly low though. They're probably just headed to Starkville if they were to win just based on geography. Uh, Lehigh and NC central could end up, any number of places there are you, you might think nc central would probably be headed to greenville or, or charlotte but there are so many four seeds in the the carolinas region that that could be sent there that you don't know and nc central and lehigh have two of the worst rpis of uh teams that we're probably going to be talking about at, in the ncaa tournament so you know we're not just talking about like low-end hosts here that that might get stuck with this we're, we're potentially talking about top eight hosts that, that are going to get stuck with a, a team like, like central or Lehigh and uh, probably not have, like, like you said, just not be thrilled to see them show up in their, um, in their regional, but I can't put the cart before the horse here. You know, army uh, has, definitely is going to have something to say about this in, in the Patriot league. And um, you know, the, uh, the SWAC and the MEAC tournaments often end up being pretty competitive. So we'll, uh, We'll just have to wait and see and, uh, you know, check out who uh, who is the first team or first teams to, to punch their ticket to the NCAA tournament in 2021. All right, Joe, we covered a lot. Um, there's a lot to cover here on this uh, penultimate weekend of, of the regular season. Uh, we'll have it all covered over at BaseballAmerica.com all weekend. Uh, you can check out everything there. You can follow us on Twitter. For more analysis and insight, I'm at Ted Cahill. Joe is at Joe Healy, BA. Uh, and remember to subscribe to the Baseball America podcast to get uh, the pod in your in your phone twice a week. We'll, uh, we'll be back here on Monday to wrap up, again, what is a very busy week around the country. And then we'll have to figure out our, our postseason recording schedule. Uh, but we're going to continue coming at you at least twice a week here uh, down the stretch and, and into the postseason. Uh, so make sure you're subscribed to the Baseball America podcast on your favorite podcast app, be that Apple podcast, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, you can find us. Uh, Want to thank you all for listening. Thank you to Rap Soto for presenting this edition of the Baseball America College podcast. As always, for Joe, I'm Teddy. We'll talk to you next time.